Good morning, everybody. Welcome into 104.3 Fans Coffee Break. We've got Mike Evans, Jake Shapiro, Rachel Vila hanging out with you as the big news just dropped less than 10 minutes ago is Nathan McKinnon is going to be a Colorado Avalanche player for another eight years as he signs a massive $108 million contract extension, extension $12.6 million a year. Mike, how necessary was it for the Avs to get this done before the season starts? Training camp starts on Thursday. Yeah, this one was something that we saw coming a mile away and it only got cemented as an automatic once they won the Stanley cup. And once Nathan McKinnon played the way that he did in leading him to the cup, we, we knew he was going to get a massive deal. Now remember he has been working on a contract for the last several years. That is without argument, the best team friendly contract, not only in the NHL, but in arguably all of sports, it was that team friendly. So you knew this time around Nathan McKinnon was going to get paid his worth. And so the fact that the numbers that you're you're hearing and you're seeing on the scroll at the bottom, eight years, uh, $12.6 million per year, over a $100 million contract, uh, it, it's a no-brainer. You're, you're talking about – this is not – you know, the Russell Wilson debate we had, you know, what kind of quarterback is he? Where does he rank? How should he be paid? In this case, you're you're looking at somebody who, without a doubt, is easily one of the top five players in the NHL, really one of the top three players in the NHL. And you can make an argument now is the best player in the NHL. So for him to get this kind of contract, it makes all the sense of the world. Yeah, I'm laughing over here, Rachel. Uh, I, I'm listening to Mike, of course, but I'm reacting because our Twitter and our Facebook, we, we pushed out as a preview for today's show, what will Nathan McKinnon's contract look like? And we didn't have enough time to change it because this contract got signed five minutes before the show started. So yep. I just put on Twitter, I think I know, and I'll tell you about it on Coffee Break right now. Um, Great so, job, Jake, on top yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... I'm with you, Mike. I think he's one of the best players in the NHL. I don't think he is the best player in the NHL. I still think it's McDavid. However, it does make sense that McKinnon gets paid more than McDavid, even if you want to say, you know, he's not as good because it's basically whoever gets the latest contract among the elite players in the sport is going to get the most expensive one. We've seen this in football with the quarterbacks and the way the salary cap is increased in the NHL, Orlando Franklin, who's a big abs guy and follows the team really well for us. He just pointed this out. The NHL salary cap is expected to explode the next two years. This contract is not going to look bad. I mean, it already doesn't look bad. It looks great because McKinnon's going to be here, but it's going to look actually a little team friendly in three to four years. So This is a great job done by Chris McFarland as his first huge move as the GM of the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I also want to point out that with this contract, uh, as long as McKinnon plays it out and is healthy, which we all assume uh, is going to happen, he will become the third Avalanche player to play over 1,000 games in Burgundy, joining Joe Sackick and Milan Hayduk. Uh, He'll score over 500 goals, most likely, which is only second to Joe Sackick. So this deal basically means that Nathan McKinnon's going to end up as the second-best Avalanche player of all time by the time he retires uh, right behind Joe Sackick. Oh, great stats there. Rachel, can I, can I point of order with Jake? Uh, did, did you, did you watch the Edmonton series, Jake? Did you, cause what I saw was I, I came away from that series wondering what's all the fuss about Connor McDavid. Not that he's not a great player. Okay. But this idea that he is automatically that you have to just immediately place him at that, that top layer. I didn't see it. I didn't see it in the series. And sure, maybe he's put up some amazing numbers and some great highlights during the course of the regular season. 
But what does Nathan McKinnon now have? He has that proven playoff resume. He's got the cup. He's he's come through at the highest levels, something that Connor McDavid uh, has not done and did not do in a head-to-head matchup with McKinnon and the Avalanche. So uh, at least for now, Nathan McKinnon is the best player in hockey. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that at all. McDavid had 33 he points. He had to do it in the playoffs. playoffs. He, still he had, had to 33 do it in the playoffs. points in 16 playoff games. He'll got to do it in the playoffs. He did it in the playoffs. His I was going to say, my point of this is you have to have depth on your team to be able to win this. If we look back, there were a lot of games where we were like, hey, Nathan McKinnon, where the heck are you? Because we really need you to show up. And he definitely did towards the later part of this playoff run. But there were a lot of games early on that we were like, yeah where the heck are you, Nathan McKinnon? We need you to kind of pop off right here. We need some help. Uh, so I would actually be curious. We should run a poll, Jake, and maybe I will actually do that, of who is the best player now after Nathan McKinnon signs this deal? Is it McDavid or is it McKinnon? Because I'd be interested to see what people have to say. Right, and and I think for our audience, they're definitely going to say uh, Nathan McKinnon, and, and that makes sense. But I, I, to, to Mike's point, McKinnon is a historically great playoff performer like his points per game is something like third or fourth all time um but mcdavid just hasn't played as many postseason games because his team has sucked he has clear he, he has carried his team like an nba star would carry his team he has a supernova talent in the nhl and why the avalanche were able to shut him down well one and, and most importantly is they have five defensemen in that series, only four of them were healthy, that are better than every other team's defensemen in the sport. Like, their back five defensemen uh, are unbelievable. Like, that goes down to Manson, Byram, um, you know, Girard when he's healthy. Like, that group is so good, and that's why they were able to shut down McDavid. They focused all of their resources on McDavid, and it worked. And the Avs are one of the only teams in the NHL that could do that, and that's why they were champs, because they were the best team last year. Is McDavid the Jokic of the NHL? Um, Ooh, well, in, in some respects, yes, because he plays for a team that, that just hasn't gone deep in the playoffs. And so until they do go deep in the playoffs and he's able to perform at that, that high level, Western Conference final, Stanley Cup final, win a championship. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's, that's a pretty good comparison because I think that's exactly where Jokic is. Um, we know he's great. Uh, the, N, the NBA MVP voters know he's great, but but let's be honest, in, in order for him to be able to create the kind of legacy where he is easily talked about as one of the great players of all time, five years after his career ends, 10 years, 20, 25, 50, whatever, uh, it, it will have to be accompanied by an NBA championship. That's that's just the way it works. I, I, I know some people feel it's unfair that all-time greatness is linked to a championship, but in, until you can come up for me, with a better way of keeping score when you're talking about who are the greatest of the greats, then I would say that championships and ability to be part of a championship team, lead a championship team, that to me is still the easiest way to break ties when you're talking about the greats of the great. Yeah, uh, here's here's an interesting point of view on this, I, I think. In, in you know, McKinnon has already cemented himself as likely a hockey hall of famer, like his resume already speaks for itself. He, he's unbelievable. He's clearly one of the best two guys in the sport. I don't know that he's ever going to win an MVP. I think he already had his chance and it's not going to happen. And here's why 
he's probably not the best player on his own team anymore. And that's pretty crazy to think about. Uh, Kale McCarr, if he plays like he did in the postseason into the regular season, he is, he is a better player than Nathan McKinnon and a more valued. And he already won the Norris and he could take that step next year and win a Norris again and an MVP. That doesn't mean McKinnon's contract is bad or that McKinnon needs to play better or anything. You can have two uber talented players in hockey and make it work. Mike Gretzky and, and, uh, and, you know, uh, Messier. Well, um, Messier, yeah. yeah, Messier. You have Yager and Lemieux. You have Kane and Taze in Chicago. You can make it work with two phenomenal players in the NHL, and they get linked to each other for their entire careers. So the fact that the Avs have one of these twosomes locked up for the, for the time being, and I know McCarr is going to get a contract extension that if, if we said it today, it's going to make your eyes water because it's going to be so much money when he gets it. He's going to be the highest paid player in hockey too uh, when he gets his contract extension. So when you think about that, the abs are set up for such a long period that it just gives you some confidence going into this season, which is part of their cup window, that everything's settled. Everyone's happy to be here. Everything's still moving in the right direction. And yeah, it sucks Nazem Kadri is not here anymore. He was so good. He was so fun to watch. But they've got such a good team still. And their star two players who are arguably maybe the second, third, and in Mike's case, first best player in the NHL, and then maybe the sixth and seventh, sixth or seventh best player in the NHL, those two guys are still here, and they're going to be here for a long time. That's a great point. Great point about McCarr. Um, You know, it's funny because we're we're talking about unbelievable talents in guys like uh, McKinnon and and McDavid, Austin Matthews as well. But to find a guy like McCarr is harder to find a McCarr than it is to find uh, a McKinnon, a Matthews, a, a McDavid. And I get it. They're, they're transcendent talents. But for what McCarr does and his ability to dominate 200, 200 feet uh, of the ice, uh, both ends, and, and be dominant on both ends, it's just harder to find. So, yeah, from that fam- that that standpoint, yeah, you can make the argument that McCarr is their, their best player. Yeah, he honestly is definitely up there. So again, Nathan McKinnon signs an eight-year extension, $12.6 million, um, average $108 million, all guaranteed. Nathan is obviously one of the premier players in the NHL, so a long-term extension was something we wanted to get done before the season started, said Avalanche General Manager Chris McFarland. He has that rare combination of speed and power with a high compete level that makes him a generational player. We are thrilled he will continue to be a member of this team and this community for many years to come. you got to be happy seeing that. That's got to start your Tuesday off on a great note. What I find interesting – oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Rich. I, if you're, I just want to make one other point. It's just, you know, reading that statement and 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 looking at this deal and think about how far McKinnon's come in a little over a year. Think about where we were at the end of the playoffs a year ago after the shocking loss to Vegas. And there's McKinnon up there afterwards saying, you know, I'm getting ready to go into my ninth year in this league. I haven't won bleep. And, and, and he was being dogged by that idea that, hey, when are you going to break through? When are you going to have that playoff moment? When is when? Are, when will you and this team finally reach uh, your potential and break through and, and prove that you can win in the playoffs? And for him to be and, and also having to answer some of the questions about, like you said, you know, maybe some of these playoff uh, series in the past where he would he would disappear and put up goose eggs uh, for the final three, four games of the, the Vegas series that we were just talking about. Also talk about whether or not, hey, is this guy, does this guy burn too hot 
uh, in the Avalanche organization, in the Avalanche locker room? Is he too demanding? Does he grade on players? Does he wear on players? These are all questions that were surrounding McKinnon a little over a year ago. So fast forward to where we are now, where not only is he getting the contract that we all knew he would get, but now his reputation and his, his, his legacy, that word again, and his place in the game, so much different than just a year ago. Does Nathan McKinnon care too much, though? McDavid's is $12.5 million a year, or at the average. So he goes to $12.6 million. Uh, he said when they asked him if he was practicing with Sidney Crosby, and Chris, he said Sidney Crosby is practicing with me. Does Nathan McKinnon care too much that he wants to be the best player in the NHL, Mike? Hey, these guys keep score, right? They're they're athletes, they're competitors, and so there there is a healthy ego there. And what's one way for these guys to keep score? Hey, it's 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 rings, Stanley Cups, but it is also contracts. And just to be able to say that if McDavid's twelve point five, I'm twelve point six. I deserve to to reset the market. Boy, there's a term that we've been using a lot over the last uh, couple of months. Uh, he deserved to reset the market, and he deserves to be looked this way. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, Nathan McKinnon, he's he's done it now, right? He's he's climbed the hockey mountaintop, and this is his time. And so, whether it's the contract and being able to be called the highest paid player, or to say that uh, the guys like Sidney Crosby are working out with him. It, it, it's it's something he has earned. So I have I don't begrudge him at all. Jake, you said you like the pettiness. Do you do you like that? Do you like that Nathan McKinnon's like no no no? He's working out with me. Well, I think that was a joke because him and Sid go back a long time. But yeah. it is a great joke, and also it like kind of flexes on him. Like who won last year? It was me. And and like exactly. it's a playful thing. I think the the McKinnon McDavid thing is a legitimate rivalry. Uh, not that they can't like each other too, but they're always kind of striving to be better than one another. They've been compared to one another for a long time. Uh, and McKinnon truly does deserve again, to get paid more than McDavid, whether you think he's better or not, like he has earned that his resume speaks for itself. So yeah, he should be, you know, petty. He should be, you know, egotistical, whatever you want to call it, because he deserves that money and you should always get paid what you deserve. Uh, you know, he could have even been paid more money. But I also want to point out the fact that the deal is for eight years and McKinnon is 27 years old. Some people might be looking at it and goes, oh, well, what's he going to look like at 34, 35? Mike, you can explain this. You're a hockey guy. Alexander Ovechkin was a point per game player last year at 37. The prime in the NHL lasts a lot longer than it does in other sports. And granted, Alexander Ovechkin was not as dynamic as a player as he once was last year but he's still productive and McKinnon will be productive into his thirties. And I say that on the day PK Subban also retires 33, but McKinnon's a different type of player. He's a forward. There's ways to manage him. Even if you just put him on the power play and you start decreasing his time on the ice per game, but that's way down the line in the contract. Other point to make $453 million spent this year, this summer on Nikola Jokic, Nathan McKinnon and Russell Wilson. You know, it's funny. Jake, as you were as you started to bring this up, I immediately start. I immediately thought of Ovechkin, and well, you talk about somebody who's been able to age like you know fine wine perfectly, you know, and he's been able to adapt his game. And what else do we know about McKinnon? Does he have amazing uh, wheels, um, amazing skating ability? Sure, but what else does he also have? He's got a heavy, heavy shot, quick release. 
that that's the kind of stuff that that these guys don't lose. And Ovechkin didn't lose it. Joe Sackick never lost it late in his, his career. So you, you we all have this image, right, of uh, McKinnon coming down his off wing, coming down the left side with that that right shot or that one timer that we've seen on power plays. You know, you set him up on that left side, and he's going to be lethal into his mid late 30s. So I don't worry about that. Yeah, will he lose a step? Uh, will we see the end-to-end dashes like we, we saw during the, the playoffs with that, that memorable goal? Yeah, that, that'll fade uh, as you get into the last couple of years of that contract. But his, his skill level um, and his, his intelligence, too. He's a very intelligent player. He is more than going to be able to make up uh, for whatever loss of speed, loss of wheels later on in his career. Mike, wow. and he takes care of his body like Tom Brady, too. Exactly, exactly. True, true. Although he did a lot of partying um, this summer, obviously good reasoning. So hopefully he's back in shape and they're ready for training camp. But there's one thing that I remember about Nathan McKinnon that was like, you absolutely deserve all the money you're going to get, was I actually had bought my boyfriend a sweater at the playoffs this year. And I was up between Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr, and I was like, you know, I'm going to go with McCarr. Like, he's younger, you know, he's got everything. That exact game, and I think it was against – the blues, I can't remember, was when Nathan McKinnon took the puck all the way down the ice and then shot it. And it was this incredible goal. And everyone was like, oh my gosh. And I remember sitting in that moment, I was like, should have got a Nathan McKinnon sweater. What was I thinking? But obviously, Kel McCarr is a great one too. But that was the moment when I was like, Nathan McKinnon is going to get every single penny that he probably wants. And we see that here today. Um, great job by Chris McFarland. Again, Jake, like you said, this is an incredible sign. But now, they got to go back out there and they got to repeat. They're the favorites to do it against the Stanley Cup. Mike, how much do you like those odds? Oh, I love them. And I, but I think it's going to be a different season this year. And last year, this was a team that, that was on a mission from day one. Uh, laser focus. Uh, they, they never really let down. The only time they had that letdown was, was late, late in that season with that silly road trip out to uh, Seattle and I think it was Vancouver and, and Edmonton or something like that. And they kind of stumbled down the stretch, but I, you know, I always felt that that was a team that was, was bored and was ready to flip the switch and was ready to go. I think that this year uh, coming off a long season, remember these teams, we, we talked a lot about uh, during the, the Stanley cup finals, uh, the incredible crunch of hockey that Tampa has played over the last three years. And as the NHL moving further and further away from COVID, they've they've had these compressed seasons and, and they've been trying to get back to the point where they start on time and finish on time. So it's led to, for the Avs, a very short offseason. They're, they're starting up and most of these guys just finished their, their days with the Cup in the last couple of weeks. So I think what you're going to see is more of an emphasis on, hey, let's maybe ease into the season. Uh, let's not overwork these guys. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we'll see full load management uh, days for these guys, but there'll be definitely a lot of maintenance days with the idea that, look, this is a team that has now proven they know what the playoffs are all about. They know how to win in the playoffs. We can trust them. And if we take part of the season as more of a, a buildup so that we're ready to go by the time the playoffs come around, um, they'll they'll be ready. So what I'm saying is it wouldn't shock me if the Avalanche don't even win their division. It wouldn't shock me if the Avalanche were, uh, I don't know, a three or a four seed uh, really out of the overall um, Western Conference playoffs. And, and you know what? I'll be fine with that because I'll know that once the playoffs come around, this will be a team that will be ready to go.
they have the experience. Now they yeah. don't need to come in as that top spot. Jake? Yeah, the difference between the third or fourth best team in the Western Conference and the 10th best team in the Western Conference is minuscule. But the Avs are so clearly the first or second best team in the West. Obviously, I'm just going to say first where we're at, where we're at right now. Um, that they can walk through the regular season. They can do load management. They don't need to tra- chase a president's trophy like they did last year, like they have in the past. There's no need to do that. They need to be ready come playoff time. Uh, I, I do think that they need to play a solid, you know, 40, 30 games together to see what they've got, see what it looks like with the goalie, the, the new goalie coming in here and uh, see what they've got uh, in the forward they just picked up from Pittsburgh, stuff like that, because they have $3 million to play with. And when they have that type of money at the deadline, that balloons up to about $9 million in contracts that they can take on because it's a third of the season and you can extend over the salary cap into the uh, the playoffs, which is what they did last year. And they made the perfect additions. So I want the Avs to at least know what they their shortcomings are come the trade deadline so they can go and make those additions, whether it is, hey, we actually need a second line center. Hey, we actually need a goalie. Uh, or we need a sixth defenseman, whatever it might be. But I also think the style of this Avs team is going to be a little bit different without Nazem Kadri. I think they're going to be a little less uh, explosive and more willing to play defensive hockey. I've mentioned this already on the show. Their top five defensemen are better than any other NHL team's top five defensemen, and it's not even close. Like their fifth best defenseman, whether you want to say it's Sam Girard or Manson, that is, that is a starting defenseman. That is a number one or number two on most teams in the NHL. So the Avs can play a defensive game and win most games in the NHL, just getting a, a couple you know points of production from McCarr and McKinnon per, per game. And that's not even counting, of course, Gabe Landeskog, who we have not brought up in this conversation, or Miko mm-hmm. Rantanen, who was the highest paid Avs player until today. No, 100%, Jake. And I remember when they signed Gabe um, to that eight-year extension, too. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love this number. I love that he's going to most likely be an app for his entire career. And I love the same for Nathan McKinnon, too. So we're going to have more information. DenverFan.com. Check it out. We'll keep you up to date on everything happening with Nathan McKinnon's contract. But I do want to talk a little bit because I want to get Mike's opinion on the Denver Broncos because, of course – They're not the team we all thought that they were going to be. Um, It has been a bit of a struggle offensively. I think the defense has looked good, Mike. But from your perspective, what is going on with the Broncos offense? Well, I knew that anybody realistically had to know that there was going to be a a bit of a acclimation period for this offense and to get everybody on the same page. And look, we we called it during the preseason. You, You can't treat the preseason the way they did and not think that there's going to be some growing pains once the season started. So the growing pains offensively, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but I think what does surprise me and what, what irritates me is, is the way that this coaching staff has been so ill-prepared for the start of the season. And I think what, what annoys me is, as well is the idea that I think they looked at the Seattle game as sort of, existing in its own vacuum that, Hey, what, what happened there, the communication issues we had um, not getting the plays in on time, those kind of things, some of the indecisiveness that indecisiveness that we had uh, that they, they just kind of passed off as well. That was Seattle. It was a tough environment. It was loud and chaotic. And that, that, that'll be, that that's one thing. And as soon as we get back home, it'll be different, but it wasn't. And 
what what really bugs me is that you got supposedly smart people, right? You got people who've been around football a long, long time, and it's not just the coaching staff. It's George Payton, and the fact that that this group really wasn't prepared for it and wasn't able to adjust after the the Seattle game, and maybe was arrogant in thinking that it'll be fine. Just that that ill preparedness. Um, is what which strikes me about these these first two games. I'm willing to give the players and the execution. I'm willing to give that a certain amount of pass because it is early in the season. We've seen a lot of examples of that around the league. But it, it's the coaching staff and and the arrogance that they showed before the first game of the season. Nathaniel Hackett just kind of brushing off questions about this being his first game and and acting very like ah yeah no big deal I got this we're good I've been in football all my life. To, to say that, to go out, to have the opening game in Seattle the way that they did and, and not seemingly learn from it and, and to, to be so bad that you're a national punchline, that all the national football shows are uh, making uh, light of you and, 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 and criticizing you and making jokes about you, and, and you're left with Nathaniel Hackett having to come out on, on um, Monday and, and do a press conference in which it, it looked like he had just been – uh, sent down to the principal's office and he's had to come out and sheepishly, uh, you know, talk about it. Uh, he was not fun loving. Everything is awesome. Yay. Football, Nathaniel Hackett. There was a, a, a somberness to him. He was subdued and it was almost like he'd been kind of like um, uh, chastened a bit, you know, and he had to come out and own up to all these mistakes. And to me, it's like, come on, you, you, you should be smarter than this. You should, I don't know. You know, you did have a preseason. You could have worked on some of these things. It's not like you had to go out through these first two games and look so well prepared. There was an opportunity to actually work on this and really kind of through your, I, I think arrogance is the only word because they, they should know better. But the fact that they didn't tells me that there was some arrogance attached to how they thought they'd be ready to go for the start of the season. And boy, were they proven wrong. I've been joking saying, I wonder next year if they're going to play in the preseason. Is he going to stick to his guns and say, no, 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 no. Or are we going to see them next year to hopefully avoid all of these blunders? Uh, Jake, for you, do you want to see Nathaniel Hackett hand over the play calling to somebody else? Because it just seems like too much is going on down on the sidelines for him. I don't actually know what goes on in terms of play calling or what goes on inside the coach's uh, like headset. I can tell you from my experience covering the CU Buffs, uh, when the Colorado Buffaloes one time uh, were leading 31 to like three in the third quarter against Oregon State at home on homecoming, looking for their sixth win of the season for bowl season, uh, the communication in their headset got so bad that at one point during a fourth down that the Beavers converted and ended up winning that game in one of the worst games I've ever seen in person. Mike McIntyre said over the headset, y'all just got me uh, bleeping fired, uh, which, and, and it's true. He got fired about three weeks later, but I, I really don't know generally what happens in those conversations. I don't know if it's overwhelming, but clearly Nathaniel Hackett seems overwhelmed. Um, mm-hmm. Is he, I can't judge that. I'm not him, but we gave our one word reactions yesterday on TikTok and Instagram to the Broncos game. Uh, which you can catch every Monday on our, our social media platforms. I didn't give mine, but mine would have been incompetent. Uh, they just look incompetent as a coaching staff. 
they don't know how many players should be on the field. They don't know that there's 40 seconds or 25 seconds between plays in the NFL, depending on what happened on the prior play. Uh, They're not lining up correctly. And yeah, Mike, some of this is execution stuff, no doubt, because they didn't play in the preseason. Like, I'm so close to asking you how you feel about the Russell Wilson contract, how you feel about him. But I also am kind of waiting and, and treating with kid gloves because it's like, well, he hasn't had a chance to really mesh with his wide receivers. He's played a total of like 65 minutes with Jerry Judy so far. It's really hard to make a judgment on Russell Wilson and the Broncos offense. But we've seen their coaching staff look really bad, really, really bad to the point where I could just press the square button on my PlayStation controller here and ask John Madden for the play call and probably look a little bit better than what Nathaniel Hackett is doing right now. How do you hand the ball off to the tight end when your running backs are averaging six yards a carry? How? There's a lot, a lot of questions, Mike. I want to give you an opportunity to respond, though, because, yeah, I mean, we just don't know. You know how in NASCAR you can actually listen in on the the crews of each driver so you can hear all the chatter? How much would you pay to be able to listen in on the Broncos headsets on Sunday? Oh, my God, that'd be – and I think it would be a chaotic mess. I really do because it's the only way to explain what you're seeing through the first couple of games. And I I can just envision – you know, in, in Nathaniel Hackett and Justin Outen, you got you got smart, creative guys who probably, you know, they're, it's like when you go out to eat when you're really hungry, your eyes are like see everything and you order more, you eat more than you should. And I think right now you got these these offensive guys who they've they've been waiting for this opportunity. And I think they have so many things going through their head about what they want to do. And so whether it's upstairs a guy like Outen's looking at what the defense is doing, and he's you know he's trying to come up with some stuff. Uh, he then passes it down to Hackett. Hackett's got in in his mind all kinds of things that he would like to do. And meanwhile, the clock's ticking. The clock's ticking. Joel Klatt, who we do a segment with every single week, and he'll be on with us uh, tomorrow at at eight ten on on Wednesday. Tune in, Schlereth and Evans. But one thing he always talked about over the last couple of years, and this is with the the trials and tribulations of uh, Pat Shermer. He said, for him, the best play callers are the ones that don't chase the game. They're the ones that are ahead of the game. They're the ones that, with their play calling, they're they're dictating to the defense what they're going to do. They're setting things up to be able to get big plays later in the game. And when I look at the Broncos, what they've done offensively the last few years, and it's even more obvious right now. It just feels like Nathaniel Hackett is just chasing the game. He's just trying to keep up. He's trying to catch up. And as a result, everything is panicky. Um, Mark Schlereth and I were talking about this morning. He said, look, as an offense, you want to have that play in with about 20, 25 seconds left on the play clock. So that as you walk up to the line of scrimmage, uh, the the communication between the, the, the coach and the quarterback last right up until 15 seconds left on the play clock. So a lot of times when you get that play in, your quarterback is walking up to the line of scrimmage and you still have uh, the coach in your ear telling you stuff about, hey, here's how they're coming out. Here's how they're lined up. It's a great cheat sheet right in front of you. The Broncos aren't taking advantage of that because everything is so rushed 
that they, they break the huddle. They come up to the line of scrimmage. There's maybe eight, nine seconds left. There's no opportunity really for Russell to be able to look everything over. The offensive line can't look things over and make changes when it comes to blocking schemes. Um, everything's rushed. And until they get this thing uh, figured out and streamlined, this offense is going to continue to be a national and local um, punchline. On your food analogy, Mike, the ringer wrote yesterday, Hackett has made some bad choices, but do so do all coaches. What's scary at times when he makes no choice at all, at least 53 players are pulling in one direction, have a chance of getting somewhere. They're doomed when they just stand around waiting on their coach to make all the waffles uh, as he waffles on his decision. If you order uh, a bad item off a restaurant's menu, at least you have food. Hackett is standing out on the street, unsure which restaurant he wants to go to, watching shop after shop close for the night until there's nothing left open. The worst decision in the NFL is no decision. So it's funny that you said the food thing because, you know, Ringer used the same analogy yesterday, but in a different way. Go ahead, Rachel. No, yeah, I I was going to say, so I'm in the press box at the games, and so you don't always get to, you know, pay attention as closely, I would say, because you've got one view the entire time. There's no camera angles, whatever. So I was rewatching it, and I saw the play with Russell Wilson when Javante was open, and it's the one where they threw it to Kendall. Well, it bounced off the um, defenseman's uh, helmet, the defender's helmet, and went to Kendall Hinton. And so we thought in the press box that that was just throw to Kendall Hinton. So I will say there are some plays that look like they are lined up. I mean, Javante was wide open, and I'm sure that was probably the intended um, receiver at that point. But it's just like it, they just can't get it together, and all these things keep happening that just make it so this team cannot pull ahead like they're supposed to. So I want to believe that they're really close, that there's so many things that are just like this much off. And this team is going to be the team we all like, know. but we have to see that. And I think it starts with Nathaniel Hackett and he kind of has owned up to it saying it's on me. I need to do this, but it's really going to come into effect on Sunday night when they play the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo now at QB. This is the first real true test for the Denver Broncos. If they can be that team, Mike, would you rather have seen Trey Lance or Jimmy G come in? Trey Lance, without a doubt. This whole game, when the schedule came out, I was like, oh, three softies to start the season. You get Geno Smith, you get Davis Mills, you get Trey Lance. Uh, Whatever issues you're going to have with the offense, they're going to be able to work their way through their early season issues, but you're still going to be able to get two to three wins because defensively you should be able to feast on these quarterbacks and these offenses that, that won't be that good. Then Trey Lance goes down, Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, and now you know what this is? Now you're hosting the team that was in the NFC Championship game. And, and now you're hosting a team that is now a legitimate threat in the NFC. It's a whole other discussion why San Francisco, um, th- th- how they boxed themselves in with the investment that they made in getting Trey Lance, that they were forced to play a guy who was not the best quarterback for their team this year. And Jimmy Garoppolo is. You can see it. You can see when Garoppolo came into the game. You can see when Garoppolo scored that touchdown, how his teammates mobbed him. They love this guy. And whatever you want to say about Jimmy Garoppolo, all he's done is win in San Francisco. So this team now goes from being a team that thinks, well, there's a ceiling to what we're going to be able to do this year because we have a a young quarterback. We're all veteran players in the NFL. We know you're only going to be able to go so far with a young quarterback. So, you know, that the, their goals for this season were kind of down here. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, and now this whole team looks at themselves as, we're up here now. 
and we can go out and we can really make a run at this division. We can make a run at the NFC Championship. Heck, we could go to the Super Bowl. That's how instantly things have changed. And as a result, as a, from a Bronco standpoint, you now look at this game as you hope to win it. You you go from expecting to win it to hoping that this team's going to be able to get everything in line by Sunday night so that they can win this game and get to two and one. Jimmy G is Russell Wilson in San Francisco. Because as soon as Russell Wilson came in here, we were like, all right, expectations are way up here. So it never made sense when the 49ers decided to go with Trey Lance, in my personal opinion. So I'm sure if you're a 49ers fan right now, you're pretty dang happy. But we've seen um, Jimmy G provide for the 49ers. We saw that last week as they put up good numbers against the Seahawks, what we expected the Broncos to do. So like you said, Mike, this week, you hope to get a win there. Um, I do want to go on, though, because it is Tuesday, and we do have a winner for our King Supers pool, and it's not Mike or I. It's actually our very own Jake Shapiro. And, Jake, King Supers is hooking you up. Congratulations. I am so, so jealous. You're getting a gift card from him. So I want to know, what will you be buying from King Supers? Uh maybe a steak dinner for myself. I don't know. I'm so pumped. It might, and I have to go a little specialer than just the normal grocery trip. I've been eyeing those sour Skittles every time I walk down the aisles at King Supers. I was thinking about them last night. I had a dream about sour Skittles. Um, yeah. So I, I, I'm kind of washed in, in that sense. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm really excited. I, I even changed my name on Twitter to Jake Shapiro week two winner because everyone needs to know that I, the guy who just walked into the fan, got all of these picks right in week two, whereas all of these guys who played in the NFL and coached in the NFL, they didn't. I did. I did. That was me. He's throwing it down. I like it. I like well, it. Well, let me just let me just say, you know, as, as somebody that, that doesn't win that often, um, it's because I know too much. And as a result, I, I overthink these things. And Jake, you're, you're – Winning is just, a, again, a, a testament to naivete and um, blind luck. So, um, you know, good for you. I appreciate you trying to take a shot, but this is what I did. <laughs> Honestly, I got in on there on Thursday. I just picked which team names I liked and which way, way the fans were going. I said, hey, that, that looks like a good pick. And then I That's- was like, Minnesota, I didn't like them last week. I'm going Philly. Didn't want to think about it at all. Perfect. You just gave the secret. What is the secret to winning the NCAA March Madness pool. My That's mom, it. Right there. My, my mom won our pool one year because she picked which outfits, uniforms, she liked the best all the way through. And I'm like, there's no way you just beat us. I, I watch more college basketball than anybody. You know too much. Right. That's a problem. Like me. Real quick, though. Uh, Jalen Hurts. Okay, Philly. I like it. I like it. I think they're going to be really, really good this year. Uh, but I do want to go back to the Broncos a little bit, you guys, because we need to do a roast or toast. Jake, play that open for me. Hit it. Roast or toast. Time now for Coffee Breaks Roast or Toast. Because Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson. Um, He is going live on, or viral on TikTok, I guess I should say, because he really wants the offense to say run or pass. Run or pass on the sidelines. We've got the video of it. Jake, hit it. Hey, sideline, run or pass. Hey, you got to let them know. Come on, commit to it. You got to let them know. Run a pass. Let's go. Got to let them know. Run a pass. Run a pass. Let them know. 9-6. Let them know. Run a pass. Let them know. Run a pass. Nice and loud. Pass. So this leads me into wondering, do we hate it? Do we love it? So are you roasting or are you toasting it? Because, yeah, it's corny 
But if it works, it works, I guess. I feel like that's what you see in, like, Little League, right? You see that in the flag football and the Little League football. And I guess even in high school, I've seen it every once in a while. So well, yeah, I- you yeah, you go to a high school game, and but it's for passes. Yeah. So if there's a pass, your sideline will yell, pass! You know, okay? It's high school. Okay, the pros, come on. Now, hey, we have signed up, eyes wide open, for the whole Russell Wilson experience. The whole beautiful, corny, eye-rolling at times experience. Uh-huh. This is it. This is what you signed up for, Broncos country. So, uh, yeah, there was. I'm sure there was plenty of eye-rolling going on along that Broncos sideline. Uh, I know some of the former players I, I talked to, they found it an eye-rolling moment. But, hey, man, that's Russ. That's what we signed up for. I'm good with it. I'm fine. You do that at Casey Middle School like I did because you assume every single play is a run play because passes are so rare. Maybe you do that when you're playing Air Force in football who only passes 10 or fewer times a game. The NFL, it's about a 50-50 split, if not more, in the pass category. Um, I hate it. I hate all the corniness. I, I just, I, I, It's so stupid. It makes me cringe every time I see Russell Wilson posting to social media. All of it. Um, I, I just don't, I want to disassociate from all of it. Um, but like, if you, hey, have- you got to own it, you got to accept no. it. This is the whole experience. Okay. Otherwise you immediately come across, you immediately come across and you sound right now, like bitter beer face Seattle fan that uh, got so tired of Russell Wilson. It was one of the reasons they moved on from him. Okay. Hey, embrace it, man. We're in the honeymoon phase. You can't be acting this way right now. He's going to be here for the next 10 years. you got 10 years of eye rolling to to get ahead of you. Tom Brady goes to Tampa and everything changed. Tom goes from this pro management, being quiet type of guy that had no personality to now he's like this awesome dude that's got a lot to say. And he's like, you know, friends with the players and he's just bringing on mercenaries and all this stuff. Why can't that be Russell Wilson? Why can't we see a different side to Russ than what we saw in Seattle? Well, because we really embraced Russ very, very hard without seeing what we were going to get on the field. And again, I'm not blaming Mm. Russ for all of the issues that this Broncos team has had, but we truthfully embraced every bit of him. And so did the Broncos organization by allowing him to do whatever the heck he wants. I have talked about this plenty of times. I'm sure people are sick of me talking about it. He can do whatever the heck he wants. Um, It was better than what we had. Hopefully fingers crossed everybody. That's the truth. But Jake, I know you're a huge bus fan, a huge bus fan. And I know they've been struggling, but I did find the best part of the buffs for you. Um, it's going to be baby Ralphie because how freaking adorable is baby Ralphie? Let me just pull up this picture for you, Jake. Hold on one second. There Aww. you go. Aww. You got one. It's the best Aww. thing about the buffs. Out of the Stanley Cup right there, I mean, she probably weighs more than I do at this point, even though she's still little, but she's cute and you got to love her, right? She came out weighing more than you, Rachel. She was like, yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, yeah, she, she she's very heavy. Um, that's the best thing that's going to happen on that field this year in, yeah. in Boulder. So, uh, it's probably the only trophy that'll be on that field in a long time. So, uh, I, I was really happy. Shout out, I think it was Brennan McNicholas, uh, there, the Avs SID, who used to be the Buffs, uh, uh, assistant SID, uh, 
that brought it up there for his little cup day. I don't know if he got a whole day or just a couple hours with it, but that's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I know that was big for the university. I talked to some people about it. So yeah, it was really cool to see that. Anytime you get Ralphie, uh, she's the best player on the buffs. Uh, she's all we got. Uh, you do it for her. You know, Jake, um, I feel for you. I feel for all you buff fans out there. And when you were talking a few minutes ago about Mike McIntyre and on the headphones and you're, you're all going to get me fired and, the, the blowout uh, to Oregon State that they gave up and lost, I, I found myself thinking, you're going to look back on those as the glory days. Those <laughs> are the glory years. Those were the golden years of Buffs football a that you need to cling to. A couple of years ago, Mike, we would have people go, I just want to get us back to six and six every year. Maybe occasionally we'll have a 10-win season, you know, competing for bowls every year. Someone in my mentions last night said, I just want to get back to four and eight every year. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, I can't. I'm done. I'm done. Yo, hey, listen, it's all about measuring expectations. As a guy, as a proud Syracuse uh, guy who used to have a good football program when I was a student there, and they've been god-awful for years and years and years, you learn to lower expectations. You learn to accept the suck. Don't worry. You'll be able to figure it out. I didn't expect them to win a game this year, and I'm still embarrassed. I, I mean, Mike, I've been there at Folsom Field in person twice for when they've lost to FCS opponents. Like, my expectation is about as low as it could possibly be, and I'm still embarrassed. You'll Bo- get over it. You'll get over it. Bo CSU, bottom top 25 um, in college football. Yeah, it's been tough. We did have a lot of people saying no trivia this week. No, with Nathan McKinnon's contract, we wanted to make sure that we had full time to discuss that. So I promise trivia will be next week. We'll bring it back. I love that you guys love trivia so much. Mike, a pleasure having you on this week. Really appreciate it, Jake, to you as well. And to everybody else that hung out with us, thank you so much. Nathan McKinnon here. Another eight years, everybody. Buckle up. Let's get another Stanley Cup. We'll see everybody tomorrow, 1030 a.m. Bye, everyone.